<laughs> the blessing of God. All right. Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to do communion today as well, so I'm going to have to stop at about quarter two. So, um, yeah. You all are aware of the story about, or it's a fable about the boy who cried wolf. So I don't have to do that. That can cut five minutes out of my sermon there. But as we know, this boy kept on crying and saying, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, and there wasn't. And I see that happening today with people saying, I love you, or using the word love. And we cry love, but there's not really love there. And just like the wolf story, when people come to look and to find the love, there's no love there. So then if you keep on crying out, love, 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 but I don't see any difference between you and anyone else who doesn't love, then why should I believe you when you cry love? That makes sense? Okay, so our new sermon series, and the greatest of these is love. So I just believe that in so many ways the word love has just been tossed to and fro without really knowing what it means. Uh, if you can put up there James 1.16, please. Uh, and even at taking the risk of maybe sounding like one who takes a scripture out of context and just uses it. I understand this is not talking about love, it's talking about tests and trials, but this verse, James is talking to people in the church who are saved, who are reborn. And he says to them in the church, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. And that's a, that's a bad thing to say to people in the church, because we think we know the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We know Jesus, we got the truth. Go to a different denomination. We got the truth. Go to diff- Everyone's got the truth, but not everyone looks the same. So is it possible that we have been deceived as Christians when it comes to love? Is there a possibility that you may think, I understand love, but you don't? Is there a possibility that you might say, I walk in love, but you don't? And that was a great reality in my life. And even now in my quiet times, God is showing me you thought that was love and you thought that was right, but actually that was wrong. And the, the, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is, is just so lighting things that I believed were right and leading me to that verse, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the, the, the end thereof are the ways of death. And the Holy Spirit so gently is just showing me, you thought that was right, it's not. You thought that was love, it's not. So when I look at perfect theology, when we look at the perfect will of God, which is Jesus, does our love life, love life, measure up to the love life of Jesus? Do we walk in the same way that Jesus walked? And if you say that's impossible, well, then we have a problem because Jesus said, John 14, 12, the works that I do, you shall also do and even greater. So, if that's not true, he shouldn't have said it. But he did. So it is the truth because he cannot lie. So we need to act in love 
just as Jesus acted. And when I look at my life and I start measuring it against the life of Jesus, there are many areas where I thought, man, I'm walking in love. And it wasn't love, it was self-preservation. It was my emotions that were hurt. It was my pride. It was me being damaged through life and looking after myself instead of dying to self and letting him live through me. So I just believe sometimes in church now I see it that James could stand here today and say the exact same thing to us as a people. Don't be deceived when you talk about love, when you hear love. Have you heard lately how the word love is used and just thrown around? It's amazing where this four-letter word just is used and people in different circles under different circumstances use the exact same word. Uh, A couple of the same sex standing in front of each other, getting married, looking each other in the eye and saying, I love you. I have nothing against gay people or homosexual people. It's the sin that's... I had nothing against myself while drinking and doing drugs. I've got nothing against them. Sin is sin. But the problem with that is that God can't bless that. That's the problem with that. Or you'll find that they catch someone going to Thailand, a 55-year-old man, and messing around with little boys and just saying, I just love little boys. I can't help myself. Wow. So those people love each other. You love little boys. You'll hear people speaking about sports. I just love it when the New York Yankees lose. I love blue. I love my country. I love spaghetti. And it's the same word used over and over again. But then when I truly, truly hold my son at night before he goes to bed or I say goodnight to my wife, I look her in the eyes, I honest to God believe, man, I do love you. But it's the same word as all the other people that we're using. So what is true love? If we hear this word the whole time, what does love really mean? Praise God, we have a book which is the word of the living God, which is the truth. So when we look in this book, it will clearly define for us what love is. So there's no reason for us to be confused or lost. And we have to know that we are judged on a different level as people who don't follow God. Because Jesus spoke to his people and saying, if you love me, because there are a lot of people out there when you talk about love and they will curse God to his face. And they will say, we don't believe, so that's not for us. But for us who do call ourselves followers of Christ, this word does matter. And what this word says love is, is what we should be walking in love. So... Um, when I got saved um, there was a song by Don Francisco I don't know if any of you heard of him the, the name of the song was Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will This was not my cup of tea When it comes to music wise uh, Really anointed music, great But just but when I got saved, you know, Christians came to me and they said, the music you're listening to, man, uh, to you, no, no, here, this is what we listen to. And they gave me this tape. And I can honestly tell you, I did not care. If I have to listen to this music to please Jesus, I'm going to do it. Even though I didn't really like it. But I was so saved. God absolutely came into my life in such a great way that 
if this is what Christians do, if this is what Christians listen to, I'm going to do it, bless God. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I mean, there were a lot of people that really, really enjoyed it, and it was anointed. But he said, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. And I learned the lingo. I learned the Christian language. But even around me, I didn't see people living it out. It was just words spoken. <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. When I look for the name of the song, I listened to it yesterday and I found out that song is actually about a married couple. I didn't know it when I was listening to that in the car over and over and over again. I found that out yesterday. But love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. That, that, that's amazing. That is so true. But I heard the words and I could say it when I went to church and people would say, oh, well, brother, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. Not living the life, not seeing it, so not doing it. But now, praise God, he's calling us to a higher place. He's starting to reveal to his body what true love is. And he's saying to us, come up higher. There's a better place for you. There's a nicer, higher level of life for you to walk in in what you're experiencing right now. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with us now. Let us just look at a couple of verses at what Jesus said we do when we truly, truly love him. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. What revelation do you need about that verse to understand it? How do you miss what Jesus is saying here? If you love me, now you can go around, who loves God? Oh my goodness, yay, right, keep my commandments. And we go around and we just see people not keeping his commandments, but yet saying, oh, I love the Lord. I'm so in love. And when they worship, they do the window and the washing and all that and hands waving. All the action is there, but when they leave the building, if you look at people's lives, where is the love? And once again, that word is used, but there's no action that goes with it. And we need to be a people when people see us and our actions and our lives, they should be able to say, there's one of them. They're one of those that truly love and they walk it out in their everyday living. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That sounds okay, because we learn what love is. But then he adds this little, this little tidbit there, As I have loved you. Oh my goodness. Jesus tells us, as I loved you, that's how you love. How has Jesus loved us? Man, we can start over here and we can go throughout the whole room. And each of us will have hours and hours of testimony upon testimony of the love of God and what he did in our life. And how many times we wronged him. And turned our back on him and got angry at him and walked away from him. And, but yet when we came back and said, Lord, I'm sorry, he said, it's okay. My blood has taken care of that. Just let's move on. I will never, ever bring that up again. Don't you bring it up to me because it's in the past. And so many times when people come and they say, man, I'm sorry. I realized I did something wrong or I said this or I acted in a way we kind of, oh, really, well, you should have known better. That's not how Jesus loved us. 
So if he says, love one another as I have loved you, that must be possible. It's not just words on a page. And we need to step up our love life so that we do love each other as Jesus loved us. Because that verse goes on to say, um, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's great to see people in the church with gifts, and really, really gifted people. It's great to sit under worship where the Holy Spirit is there, and just, it's oozing with the presence of God. Who doesn't enjoy that? It's great to sit under a prophet who, man, when he speaks and he tells you with his gift of a prophet, it's not God's calling you and he says you're a beautiful flower. He's, he's like seven days ago, three o'clock in the afternoon, and you are, my goodness, this is the Lord. And people who have wisdom and people who can teach, and, and, and when they explain the Bible, it opens up to you in such a way. But Jesus says, that's not it. As much as we love and enjoy that, Jesus says, not by that, but by your love for one another will people know that I am real. Because we all have gifts. We all have talents. There's not one person sitting here that is so amazingly gifted, that is so talented, that can do something that nobody else in the world can do but you. So that when you look in the mirror and look at yourself, you can look in the eyes of that person looking back and saying, man, you're awesome. You are marvelous. God didn't make a mistake when he made me. That's just the truth. And God's thoughts towards you are more than the sand of the earth. And they're all good. That's you looking in the mirror. But, Jesus says, other people will know that that's true and that I came when you love one another the way I have loved you. So use your gift. Use your talent. That, that's like the dinner bell. It brings people to the table. But then when they sit down, you feed them the love. Use those gifts because each and every one of us have them. But feed the love. Feed the love because love never fails. Love covers a multitude of sins. So Jesus says, love each other the way I have loved you. And it's so bad that when we see Christians, and it's so easy now with social media, this is really, really where we see one church or one denomination just nailing another church or another minister or another denomination. And it's so easy to just, oh, did you just hear what they said and put it on faith? And the whole world knows within a minute and Jesus warns in the book of Proverbs, he says there's six or seven things that he hates. And one of them is a brother sowing discord amongst the brethren. God hates that. When God hates something, that's serious. He never, never came to anyone in his time, Jesus, and said what you're doing is it's, it's, it's hateable. He didn't do that. So how do we dare saying things about other people, something that God hates. 
We need to step up our love life and walk like Jesus walked. And when I'm looking at the way Jesus lived and his love life, the Holy Spirit is just showing me, you thought this was right because that's the way you were taught by people who didn't know me or my perfect will or didn't know God or you were taught by life. But that's not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is. And I want you to walk like this. And this is the great thing that even when God shows you something that's wrong, it's amazing. Because now you can do better tomorrow. So many people are so scared of opening their hearts and saying, God, show me what is wrong. Show me what you don't like in here. Take it out because I want to please you. And when he does, you know, the devil comes and he says, oh, you did this wrong. for so." It should be a time of praise and worship because God is showing you the light. He's showing you a better way. He's always full of mercy, full of grace. Galatians 3, verse 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord God, the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, when you're using your gift, when you're ministering, when you're talking to people, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what they did to you, it's whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Because if we were under the old covenant, we could talk ourselves in an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but in this new covenant, we can't. There's no ways you can do that because we need to lay our lives down as he laid his life down for us. So therefore, we need to forgive. We need to put it in the past, love and bless and speak well and move on. Why? Because He loves us. And I get my fulfillment and I do everything as unto Him, not for your patting me on the shoulder and saying, good job. But when you do it, it's great. But if you don't, it's okay because He told me to do it and He's happy with what I'm doing. Okay. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, please. And I know we've all heard so many sermons on 1 Corinthians 13 that when the pastor says 1 Corinthians 13, you're, not again. I've heard this so many times, you can't tell me anything. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. This is Paul just after writing, love is patient, love is kind, going through all of that. He adds this, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Childish things don't just leave you. They don't go away. When you grow up in the Lord, you've got to put those things away. So many people don't get that. And we have people who have been saved for 50 years and they're still children in the Lord. Because how does a child think? Me, I, I want, give me. How do you say that to me? And people, children will go running to their mommies and daddies and say, Mommy, they said that my ears are too big and my legs are too small and, that, and blah, 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 blah. What does mommy say? Oh, you're beautiful, my child. Uh, sticks and stones. We've all been through that. But that's a child. When someone says something that goes against what makes them feel good, they run to mommy or to daddy or to someone else. And say, do you know what they said about me? But Paul says, grow up. Grow up. Don't be like a child. If someone comes and they don't see your teaching gift the way you see it, 
And they come and they say after a sermon, man, my six-year-old daughter could teach better than you. You shouldn't be here. Do you go and cry to someone and say, oh, man, look what they said. This is not God has called me to be a you. Don't, you just don't understand. Paul says grow up because Jesus had to grow up. And every time people came and said something to him, it says he didn't hold it against the people. He didn't take it personally. He didn't repay evil with evil. Grow up. And it's not about getting a thick skin so you just, I don't care what you say. It's God told me that I need to do this. I am doing his will. I'm so sorry you don't understand that. But God bless you. But I'm not going to change to make you feel better. Do you and I run to other people and say, Oh, do you know what they said about me? Do you know what they... And I'm just doing, I'm doing the best. They don't understand. Grow up and read those verses that come just before this and put your name in there. Rifle is patient. Rifle is kind. Right? And go on through that and, and see if you measure up to that. And in the, in, in the secret place, Holy Spirit is showing me, man, you've got a lot of growing to do. But I'm excited about growing because we're moving to a higher level. We're moving to a higher place in God. So grow up. Philippians 1, verse 7 to 10. We know verse 6 very well. The good work which God started in you, He will finish. But it goes on here. Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think all this of you because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Look at this. You are all partakers of my grace. Get this. Paul says, even while I'm locked up in chains, there's a grace. You're a partaker of that grace. He says to confirm the gospel. There's a grace for that. You partake in the same grace as I do. To defend the gospel, there's a grace. And you partake of that same grace. Do you realize there's not a grace for you personally? There's no grace for the me. There's no grace for I. There's no grace for how dare you say that to me, I am. There's no grace for the you personally. There's a grace when you're suffering for the gospel. There's a grace to explain the gospel and there's a grace to prove the gospel. But there's no grace for rifles self. And I was living my life looking for that grace. I was living my life as if there were a grace for me. And I was banging my head and coming up short all the time until I found out if you truly, Galatians 2.20, have died and been crucified with Christ, why would you need a grace for you? It's because you have not died that you're looking for a you grace. But when you die, there's no grace for you. But there's a grace for the gospel. There's a grace for being locked up and being chained. There's a grace for proving signs and wonders. But there's no grace for you. Because I have been crucified. I live no more. Oh, really? How dead are you and I truly? Because when we are dead, He now lives through us. And He can do all the works that He did and greater through us, using these hands, this mouth, these feet. But when it's about me and the grace for <laughs> me, I, 
it's not going to work because there is not a grace for that. My life used to be Jesus incorporated instead of Jesus being my life. And I would use him to make my day better. I would use him to get certain things. I would use him and everything blessing-wise that he gave in his word. But I would not give him my life. And many of us live like it's Jesus incorporated. It's not. It's I'm died and it's 100% him. Him or nothing. His love flowing through me. So whatever you do against me, you can't get to me. And because it's not me anymore, it's him living in and through me. I don't have to defend myself, my gifting, my life, my calling, my nothing. Because it's all of him and nothing of me and my anymore. It's getting better. Wait. I, when I left uh, South Africa and went to Taiwan, I didn't go home for the first time for after a year, probably about a year and four months. And I, I dreamt about when you fly home and you get to the airport and you walk through the gates, you know, your parents standing there and friends welcoming you back. Because you saw, you know, everyone's there to see you. You know how it is. In any case, I, I just dreamt so many times and I'm thinking about Jesus. When Jesus came back from the dead, if I were Jesus, which I'm not, but Jesus coming back from the dead, who would I go to first when I was raised from the dead? I mean, I, I would have a list. You know, and I, I don't know if it would be the high priest, Ananias, or Pilate, or, or maybe even Peter. For time's sake, let's just go with Peter. But Peter had such a revelation of who Jesus was. I mean, here's a guy on the Mount of Transfiguration. Sees all of these things. And the voice of the Father comes and he says, Man, what you thinking and saying is wrong. Hear him. He is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he has to say. Peter knew who Jesus was. Jesus asking them, well, who do men say I am? Bam, revelation straight from God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turns around and says, wow, Peter, man, that's amazing. Where did you get my father's been talking to you? He knew who Jesus was. And yet when a little slave girl, warming her hands around the fire, looks at him and says, are you not? You were that? You and him? You, you with him? And he says, I don't even know who he is. I have nothing to do with him. And he starts cussing and swearing. That's the man who, I've got your back. Anyone leaves you, I'll be there. Just turn around, I've got you. I would probably go back to Peter first. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, maybe having break, maybe sitting on a boat. I don't know what Peter did. But just appear. Well, looky, looky, looky here. In the flesh. Just freak Peter out completely. 
I would say, Peter, I'm so glad you had my back, brother. Thank you. Can you imagine where I would have been if it were not for you? I was so amazed the way you stood up for me. And I I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm going to pass the torch of Christianity to you because you're such a man and I know that you will die for the gospel. Thank you, Peter. You're the man. That's my old self because I would have been so hurt by what Peter promised and said. And then when I looked for him, he was not there. That my pride and my ego and my damaged self would go back to him and make him know, how dare you? Who do you think you are to treat me like that? What did Jesus do? What did love do when love came back? Didn't go to the high priest. Didn't go to Pilate. He went, sent an angel when Mary Magdalene and the others came. And the angel sitting around. Here come these women to put the, the spice and the herb on Jesus. And the angel says, why are you looking for the, for the living amongst the dead? Look what Jesus told this angel to say. Get this. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that I am waiting for them in Galilee. That's love. Can you imagine how Peter felt after he denied Christ that third time? Do you know, can you think, can you put yourself in his shoes? When he heard about Jesus, people were talking about it, the disciples were there. What was going through his mind? But Jesus tells the angels, go and tell his disciples, and you tell that Peter guy that I've still got a destiny for him that I've still got a perfect plan for him, and I'm still going to hand the baton of Christianity into his hands, even though he doesn't think he can. I know that he's able, because I will do it through him. Who are we to come to people and say, man, you did this, you did this. How dare you, if we are supposed to love one another as he has loved us? That's, we'll stop there because of communion. Um, We're going to take communion for two reasons today. First of all is because of Jesus coming back and and treating Peter in the way that he did. Because of the new covenant. Matthew 26, Jesus says, take of this, this blood, the blood of the new covenant for the remission of sins. In other words, taking all sin away. That you never ever have to mention or worry or feel condemned or guilty because he said, I will take that upon myself. That's one reason, and we're very familiar with that. But the other reason we're going to take communion is because the enemy comes and lies to us. And he would say to us that what somebody did to you is just unforgivable. It's impossible to forgive them. Other people don't understand how you feel and what was truly done wrong to you. So you don't have to forgive them or even a bigger lie. You can't. It's impossible to walk in that kind of forgiveness. But today we're going to take, partake of the broken body and the blood to say that if Jesus forgave me for everything and he and his love and his grace now lives in me, it is possible for me to forgive anyone who wronged me. God wants us today to become free from that bondage. And that's why we're going to take this today by faith. 
And when we take it, we are going to say, and you can think of the person who the enemy is saying, you can't forgive them, it's impossible. And just say, Lord, I just give this now to you. I forgive them because it's you in me that gives me the grace and the power and the strength to say, God, bless them and do not bring this evil upon them because they did not know what they were doing. That's the two reasons we're going to take communion. So let's line up so long and get get the bread and the, and the wine.